1: Kyle, what did you do to your dreadlocks? I brushed them out so I could wear this Jennifer Aniston hairstyle because I am having a total '90s moment. Booyah! Is my look fat or what? You look strange. Okay, well, how about if I slip on this Hillary Clinton 1992 headband? It is fresh, homie.
0: What is that noise?
1: I'm using a dial up connection and a Netscape browser. Right before you came in, I downloaded the Macarena. It only took me two and a half hours. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> There's something else that's off about you. Well, it's not the sweet flannel I'm wearing, that's fly. What up, G? I think it's your pupils. Well, I did take Matthew Perry amounts of Vicodin and Chased it with Prozac, the ultimate 90s drug. Okay, that's dangerous. Talk to the hand, because the face ain't listening. Let's take the Humvee and go to one of those slammin' Starbucks places. It's all good.
2: Kion, please. You're embracing all these shallow aspects of the 90s. The stupid slang, the pills, friends. I don't like who you are right now.
1: (laughs) I can't help it. I just miss it all so much, you know?
2: Miss what?
1: Connie Chung. And James Vanderbeek and Anna Nicole Smith and Johnny Cochran and ha- Toad the Wet Sprocket?
2: <laughs> Toad the Wet Sprocket? Weren't they on the show Tuesday?
1: Okay, that was a bad example.
2: Uh, who's that guy sitting in the corner?
1: Kato Kalen. Don't wake him up. He's 55 now and he tires really easily.
2: It's all good. Oh, oh, no. Now you've got me doing it.
1: Well, let's listen to the nose tackle the 90s. And now he still wishes he could have taken a police baton in the leg for Nancy Kerrigan, Colin (laughs) McEnroe.
3: It should have been me, not Nancy. That's all I can say. Yes, we're going to begin today talking about the 90s. Brace yourselves. We'd love to hear from you about your memories of the 90s. Or did it all just go by in a blur the way it did for possibly two of our three guests and panelists today, Uh, the National Geographic Channel, of course the National Geographic Channel, who else really, uh, is uh, offering a three-part documentary series. Uh, It's sort of on and off and on and off. You you just have to look at their very confusing website to find out when it's going to be on next. Uh, The 90s, the last great decade. I'll just read their description. It revisits the decade through inside-out storytelling. I don't know what that means. An analysis via 120 original interviews might mean they were actors as it turns out for some reason. But anyway, they reveal a decade of highs and lows. Bill Clinton swept into office on the promise of change. We all made new friends, in quotation marks. The LA riots kept us glued to our TVs. Nirvana gave Generation X a voice. But everyone danced the Macarena Reina and the real world. And Jerry Springer changed television programming landscape with a star-studded cast of actors. I told you, eyewitnesses, politicians, and celebrity interviewees are mainly actors. The 90s tells a story of 10 years before boom turned to bust. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Uh, Meet our panel for here on the nose today. The curtains are drawn. Some light comes through, casting a small glow on the top left of the air conditioner. It's daytime. The wall is an undecorated slab of beige. This is the American room. Sitting in it, making her latest YouTube video, is Teresa Kramer, one of the founders of The Cut, an online magazine for young adults who are falling apart in Connecticut. (laughs) Watching watching a video of Teresa Kramer dancing and talking and singing in beige rooms with eight-foot ceilings is the least – Standardized man in America, guitar hero and cancer activist Jim Chapdelaine. Finally, you can see her dancing in the new commercial for Carl's Jr.'s Texas Barbecue Thick Burger. Uh, there is no kinship, no understanding, no mercy in her eyes. You see only the overwhelming indifference of nature. She is actress, comedian, and dance impresario Carolyn Payne. They are here today to talk to you about the '90s, and then later on, we are going to talk about this incredible blankness of the American Room, a room that is glimpsed in the background of homemade YouTube videos. Uh, and so has something to do, according to a fascinating essay we all read in a, on a, on a site called Medium.com, something to do with the incredible blankness, uh, uh, not of Carolyn Payne, but of uh, the Pomplamoose uh, videos. Uh, so I, I didn't really quite understand that connection. Maybe somebody here did. Um, and uh, then towards the end, well, we are going to wave out our, our window. Uh, WCCC is next door to us. And uh, they are turning after many years as a progressive rock station and then various other kinds of rock stations into a contemporary. Christian station today is their last day as the former before they begin uh, their journey into the latter. So that will be sort of where we go and what we talk about. But we're going to start out with the 90s today. Carolyn Payne really is um, the author of this segment in the sense that she's really been wanting to talk about this for – like a month now or something? Sadly, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so ever since she realized that there would be a 90s documentary on the National Geographic Channel, then it would be narrated, and this is kind of a giveaway uh, to sort of where they go, narrated by Rob Lowe. Who else really, though, uh, could do this except Rob Lowe? Uh, She has wanted to talk about the 90s. Did you want to do this because the 90s went by in a blur and you're trying to kind of now swing your leg up over the saddle and kind of ride that decade (laughs) or – Or did you really have a finely grained, acute awareness of what was happening in the 90s and now you want to see it laid out before you like the glittering jewels at a bazaar?
0: Oh, I I think that the 90s was a pretty glittering jewel that that I rode. Well, all right. So (laughs) Teresa and I. (laughs) So
2: many metaphors.
0: (laughs) So much going on there. Teresa and I are um, the same same. age. Mm -hmm. And so to us, the 90s was an interesting time because it was kind of it was our coming of age time. So looking back, like I kind of always look back at the 90s as this wonderful time. So I'm not really sure. I was really interested in this documentary because it was going to be a way that I could kind of look back and be like, well, was it really a great time or was it just that I hadn't I I was still young and naive and didn't hate the world yet. But, (laughs) you know, in looking back at this and, and at. Uh, at, at the documentary, I realized the '90s was wonderful. I mean, you had amazing things. You had like Justin Timberlake dating Britney Spears, and they were wearing matching denim outfits <laughs> on a red carpet. You have like sheep being cloned. You have Bill Clinton shoving Big Macs in his face while he's dogging. Like it, it was a crazy and yet wonderful time. So I was really excited to talk about this. And yes, I, I brought this upon all of us. All
3: right. <laughs> so uh, and it sort of works out interestingly because Jim and I are also exactly the same age. We're the at the age where. Where things slow down enough in the 90s so we could actually see it all kind of creep by um, we may have had a better vantage point on it but just sort of to kind of give you a sense and we thought i thought about pulling some clips here but it really And rather than pulling clips of the show, really think of anything you remember from the 90s and it's probably (laughs) there in this three-part documentary series. Um, It may not be dealt with in the greatest detail uh, in the world but it is there. So yeah, Bill Clinton and the internet and Oklahoma City uh, bombing and the rise of Rush Limbaugh, uh, Tupac and Biggie and East Coast, West Coast, Rapper Beefs, Tanya Harding, OJ, David Koresh, uh, you name it. Uh, It's all there uh, plus all the – some of the entertainment stuff. uh, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of the, the the Justin Timberlake image, but you know, I mean, it's all there. It's all there. James Vanderbeek. I mean, it, although, well, no, I don't, I don't even want to preempt you guys. I wouldn't. <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say first. So uh, we'll sort of go boy girl, boy girl, and also uh, young old, young old. So um, so Jim Chapter Lane, I mean, one of the questions as I watched this, I started to think. I initially thought this is a fool's errand. There's no way that you can really. You know, I mean, a decade just is all sex and food hurling towards a necropolis. To quote John Cusack, who I think said that in the '90s, um, you can't really throw a bridle on it and walk it around so that you can really look at it. But I start to think, you know, it it does have kind of a narrative. There is stories that begin and end in the '90s. Anyway, I don't know how did you process this. Well, it's a, it was a
4: reaction to the '80s, partially right. But um, first, for me, it's the bedazzler. <laughs> uh, on everything and and uh and first let's talk about the structure of this the the documentary or is it a documentary is it infotainment I'm not sure what it is but I can tell you this having worked on things like this somebody told them that the music had to be scarier yeah. So, like every episode where somebody's just talking, even Roseanne, it's like.
1: Yeah,
4: and it even, wasn't that scary. And even, you know, I
3: thought of you because you do, you do. Well, part of your career is working on stuff like this, although I think far more subtly and in, in a nuanced fashion than whoever worked on this. Even if they have like some letters going up on a screen saying, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, a working class sitcom. The letters go up kind of boom, 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 like just the letters sort – of they make a noise when they go it, up. Well, it's so the it.
4: five-second tickle rule because people switch the channel. Uh, so they need a little five-second tickle and um, I, could, I, I did a thing for the History Channel called The Secrets of the Freemasons and <laughs> similar to this and – which are no longer secret. Trevor It sort of ruins it. Um, well, they, they actually don't really reveal a lot, yeah. but they talk for two hours about it. And, <laughs> it turns and, out
3: they were behind Dawson's Creek, so you know, they're behind everything. Yeah.
4: Vatican II, everything. Um, so, so I remember them telling me to be very subtle with the music. Then that evolved after four directors, I think, into when they do a fifty-year-old academic who has glasses on and is wearing a. a plastic pen holder to music that's like make him scary and it became the most frightening music I ever wrote and it's just a guy talking about the Freemasons. So I think there's a little component of this that didn't ex- actually exist in the 90s. There was a social sort of stuff with OJ and and uh, the Gulf War and all that, all that, which in comparison to other decades probably isn't uh, – I mean comparing it to the Bush years or comparing it to the 70s when we had – Vietnam, it wasn't quite the – it was almost you could maybe feel a sense of victory, but I felt a sense of horror. I remember going to work to play a gig the night they started the the Gulf War and thinking, this is kind of a weird feeling. Yeah. Um,
3: so so, so they, it gives us all kinds of different stuff. I just want to sort of go around the table here and I don't know, what was your big takeaway or give us a couple of your big takeaways, Teresa mm-hmm. Grammer.
2: One of the things I noticed was how much I missed from the 90s, like the important things because – we were young, so I was unaware that uh, someone tried to—well, that Osama bin Laden tried to assassinate Bill Clinton in the Philippines. I learned that that. So yesterday. was everybody? I mean,
3: everybody yeah. in America was, to be fair, unaware of that too. In oh really? So, yeah. I that wasn't did a, thing? a Documentary. See, I don't even know mm-hmm. now.
2: <laughs> and that, and um, uh, what, what was one of the other things I forgot? Oh, um, the the Reginald Denny beating I didn't know that people came in and like rescued him from this beating I remember watching it as a kid and being like this is horrible what is happening but I didn't realize that there was like a team of good Samaritans who came and rescued him from, from the whole thing so um, I kids po- are I wanna- stupid I that's wanna- what I took away from hold it. that thought <laughs> I just,
3: just want to pause and say something about that mm-hmm. I had the same reaction not that I didn't remember mm-hmm. that Reginald Denny got rescued but I do quite remember the fashion of it and it sort of does make you think about like who's famous and who isn't mm-hmm. so there's this guy t- Titus Murphy, who this documentary did seek out, who's one of the people who he saw Reginald Denny on television being beaten, you know, 91 fractures to his skull or whatever it is. And he just – he and his girlfriend went and they found the thing, the truck, and helped save him. And there were a couple of other people involved in this. And I'm like, how come everybody doesn't know who Titus – I mean, I didn't know who Titus Murphy was. Right. Did you? you know?
4: No. no. I, rem- I yeah. remember the incident. I remember thinking long hair. Not yeah, bad. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah.
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. Continue.
2: Um, and, and then I was thinking about my reaction, and and this is part of what I wrote to you guys, but to the Gulf War, in contrast to Jim's, Jim's experience, mine was that I was basically afraid we were going to be bombed with chemical weapons and I would not be able to save my cat Ishtar. That's what I was afraid of (laughs) for like the 48 hours that the war was actually taking place. And, um, so yeah, that's what I took away from this.
3: So I want to sort of go ask you all – and by the way, if anybody wants to call in about this in terms of you know if you think you can throw a bridle on the 90s and walk it like a show horse before our eyes, 860-275-7266 or if you have something else you want to say that's nowhere near as comprehensive as that, 860-275-7266. I want to go around the table again and just ask very specifically about this – and there's hours and hours of this thing. I don't know how much everybody got to watch. It was hard to wait all through it. Um, I mean – does it do the job that it sets out to do? I want to hear from each of you. But Carolyn, I mean, do, did you feel as though at the end of this you were in any better shape in terms of understanding the decade that formed you <laughs> mentally and emotionally? Like, that's
0: right. Yeah, I don't, it would take more than this documentary to put me in better, better shape. But um, I, I don't think that it had. I, a clear thesis statement, mm-hmm. which, in my definition of a, a documentary or anything that's, uh, uh, you know, approaching something intellectually, there should have been a thesis statement that was carried through. I, um, I think Teresa pointed out it was Roseanne who uses the phrase like the last great decade, and I was like, wow, did they name the whole thing after something that Roseanne said? I mean, she definitely was a big part of the decade, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> I don't, I. I was kind of disappointed in it, as as built up as I was for this. Um, it was, to me, kind of a glorified version, sort of a more, it, it, it was a more like historical approach to the 90s, but it was very much like VH1's I Love the 90s, mm-hmm. which I, in the end I think I actually maybe liked VH1 I Love the 90s more.
2: I loved those. I watched them all the time. But yeah. this, I felt like this thing was trying to make a statement that it was the last great 90s, and I felt like. They didn't even attempt to. They, you know, there was they, a- they, they, there was there was no because it was so rambling and so. It it was just like Ice Cube and Dawson Leary talking about <laughs> talking about the nineties. Like, oh, they're not you, you. know, we need a historian or something to make a case for this. I not think it was,
4: I don't think they're even trying to be <laughs> no, anything yeah. historical. And think about trying to wrap up a decade in a in a TV I feel series. Like the title
2: lied to me. That's what yeah. I'm they saying. did. They, yeah, let yeah. Mm-hmm. they let you down. They
4: let it, you down. It's more. It seemed like People Magazine uh, that with moving pictures. Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing I noticed about the nineties is. Do you remember when the social outliers – you guys probably don't remember this, but Colin, maybe you do – flip phones. Like, wow, what is that? And (laughs) that is crazy. And and they had a variety of functions but nothing like today. And now hipsters are going back to flip phones. Like social outliers have now rejected – iPhones and, and droids and stuff, and they're going back to. to well, flip the 90s bones.
0: are hot right now. I mean, if you go into Urban Outfitters, it looks like it did in the
2: 90s. And, I, and I'm loving. Except it. Except it's made in China. Do they have army green pants? Because I I, I uh, really 70s. miss mine from the night. Oh no, well
4: 70s. it may
0: be. Well it was every like twenty. Yeah, years. now yeah. now they're on. Yeah, I had
2: a pair that were like they just fell apart. Are you apart. G-
4: Are you going to play the youth card for this entire oh, thing? Is, right? yeah. <laughs> I, I turned forty in the nineties, yeah. and and coincidentally, I turned forty <laughs> this year too. Yeah. It was amazing.
3: Just keep doing it. Okay, yeah. so I made an effort uh, for a while, and then I got exhausted and gave up to write down all of the people who are the cloud of witnesses who are brought forward. These are not people from stock footage or anything like that. These are people who gave specific original interviews uh, and are commenting uh, on the 90s all the way through, often repeatedly coming back. So Jason Alexander, uh, Arsenio, Dan Rather, uh, Connie Chung, Courtney Love, uh, Rudy Giuliani, David Sirota, P.J. O'Rourke, D.D. Myers, Thomas Friedman, Newt Gingrich, Tony Blair, Douglas Copeland, Vanilla Ice, John Singleton, Ice Cube, Matthew Perry, Sandra Bernhardt, Dick Morris, Roseanne. Colin Powell, Monica Lewinsky, Martin Sheen, Susan Sarandon, James Vanderbeek, uh, and uh, Kurt Anderson, Jerry Springer, Peter Arnett, Graydon Carter, Eric Schmidt, Baratunde Thurston. So they're just sort of flung at you, and often they don't speak for more than 15 seconds at a time. Um, and if,
2: sometimes they only appear once. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Which was confusing. Disappointing. I mean, yep. sort
3: of going into this, you know, the bad joke would be sort of what's it going to be, G- James Vanderbeek talking about the Gulf War? Well, <laughs> Al, yeah, actually, yes. James Vanderbeek talks about the Gulf War. He says that how we saw how easy war could be, talking about the sort of push-button nature uh, of the Gulf War. But I'm sort of with you, Teresa. I just do feel, you know, they, I mean, they, do, they do make a pretense. I mean, if you're going to have Dan Rather on and if you're going to have Colin Powell and, and Dick music. Morris <laughs> and scary music, you are essentially saying... I am going. We are going to try to tell this story and analyze it a little bit. And then there really is. I mean, Sandra Bernhardt just doesn't have a better handle on this than Michael Kinsley does. You know, (laughs) she just doesn't. And so they're like over reliant on these kind of grade B plus, if that, celebrities Mm -hmm. uh, to try to tell you know an interesting story.
2: And and sometimes they don't even explain to you like why that person was important. So like when we first saw James Vanderbeek, I was like, oh, they're going to do a thing on Dawson's Creek, but then they never do, and I was like, well. What, why Why would you have James Vanderbeek, of all people, on here? I guess you couldn't get Jennifer Aniston or something. Well, I, don't. I think
4: you guys should not let this documentary ruin your childhood. No. Right. <laughs> you know.
2: Well, it's too
0: late for yeah. that now, isn't yeah. it? it is. You
3: can't be unseen. We've got <laughs> a, a phone call from Stephen in Middletown. Hi, Stephen. Uh, what was the 90s for you? Well, hey, Colin. First time caller. Uh, I started UConn Physical Therapy School in 1991, and I just wanted people to remember that. It
2: was a time when you could not find. You know, a side job. I've been working since I was 13 years old, and I could find nothing to make any money on the side whatsoever.
3: So you're, so you're talking about one of the things that the and the, once again, this documentaries, these documentaries, they do attempt to touch upon the recession. They don't give you they they spend and this is literally true. They spend a lot more time, I would say maybe three or four times as much time on the career and the phenomenon that was Vanilla Ice uh, than they do on the recession. Uh, I think that's a fair statement. He must have been so
4: available. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 pick a time, anytime. There's nothing on the books.
2: He's got a very important reality show of his own now. But you where know what? he flips houses. Yes. Yeah.
1: Does he
3: really? Yeah. 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 Oh he
0: also God. was it's with the, the Amish I, too.
2: He had a vanilla yeah. ice with the Amish TV.
0: show. You guys
3: really keep up, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I like that.
2: Well, I like to know what Rob Van Winkle's doing yeah. at any particular uh,
3: time. But you know. Jim, looking at this, since we had sort of a different experience of it, I mean, watching this, I was sort of thinking, well, what what legitimizes this or could legitimize it anyway is that it really is in America a decade with one dominant figure, and that's Bill Clinton, really. I mean, sure. Bill Clinton, yeah. sure. it, the story of the 90s and the story of Bill Clinton are so coterminous that it really – and I think the other thing that really bookends it well is the rise of the internet You know, from a very primitive thing to – a very pervasive thing. That those two things you can at least look at those things. I mean, everything else does seem to sort of flash by in different ways. Whether it's the Gulf War, or the O.J. trial, or, or or whatever. I mean, you know, but those things really that they are bookends for the decade. Sure, absolutely.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially the the internet and you know Bill Clinton's sort of reinvention after the night because he sort of exited under odd circumstances, and now uh, here comes Monica again. And so he, Who I think he's aged
2: very well, by the way. Very, Monica has, yeah.
4: <laughs> yes. yeah. And you know Good what? If her. you look at Bill, he's aged fairly well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's it's lost veganism. that will do yeah, that. That's for right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to start it soon, um, <laughs> so that I might age well when I turn 41. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the, I, I mean, you said Netscape in the open, and yeah. I remember thinking this is crazy. I mean, uh, but of course, in those days, you had to type HTTP mm-hmm. you know, all 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 the stuff, uh, and there were 400 search engines.
3: Uh, we got a tweet from uh, – by the way, you may tweet us about the 90s at WNPR. Column. we have a tweet from Ronald. The Bit Wars, SNES versus Genesis. You had to pick a side. I don't even remember that but I know it's video. Games. I do. Gamers, I'm, I'm with him on, on that. Yeah. Yeah. We were too old to be
4: gamers. I was – my gaming was with my daughter and, and – Watching Teletubbies, Super
2: Nintendo, <laughs> all the Super way. Nintendo,
0: right. yes,
3: and that's back big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, back. Well, I think one of the fallacies that these documentaries make is the notion that everything started in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly telling you that you know that that the nineties was the cradle of UFO obsessions. Well, of course not. I mean, yeah, UFO obsessions. Where obsession, did
2: that? Co- it's yeah, like there could have been pretty much anything. Would have been better to spend more time mm-hmm. on than Another that.
3: Another one. Repeatedly, we're told that being famous for being famous started with. And Anna, Anna Nicole Smith in yeah. the '90s. I don't think so. I think no. we could come up up with you know going the back entire '80s. <laughs> the entire yeah. '80s were being yeah. were full of people being famous for yeah. being famous, uh, and even the they notion they also
2: blamed her for the fake boob. That's boom. right. Yeah, they yeah. They, they, they say the Anna boom. Nicole Smith
3: <laughs> the Anna, fake boob boom. 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 Yeah, Anna Nicole Smith is held out as a really kind of definitive '90s icon in a way that uh, wouldn't have sprung to my mind anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. they make sort of a compelling case for it, and I mean, there's but an opera. yet they about don't her,
2: so. mention you know Pamela Anderson who was. If I was picking a bomb, uh, sort of bombshell from the '90s, I would have picked Pamela. And Anderson. that was the
3: number
4: one watched TV show, I think, mm-hmm. ever in they history. Didn't,
2: did they even mention? B- they, didn't watch it. It. they didn't. They didn't watch watch
0: B- B- uh, mention. Clearly, B- clearly B- this is Maybe not the definitive get, source. on Or the 90s. they couldn't
4: get rights to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, this had to be. I mean, that's why. Vanilla ice is in there. Vanilla ice tea, as we used to call them. I mean,
0: I became a lifeguard as a teenager because of Baywatch. Yeah. Like, I had this, you know, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going <laughs> to run down a beach real slowly. No, I sat at a pool with, like, bratty kids who were yeah. peeing the pool. Yeah. It was not Baywatch at all. But in my mind, I was like Pamela Anderson. Did you ever do a slow
4: motion rescue?
0: Uh No. <laughs> 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 Still the, on the list.
3: The things that guide our life choices uh, are <laughs> often. Uh, I, I I do want to say, I, you know, if pe- people are sitting there now thinking, "Well, should I watch it or shouldn't I?" <laughs> I mean, it's it's an imp- impressive assemblage of. Footage, you know, and and the stuff that they've collected and the way that they've tried to organize it, anyway, is is interesting at least at the level of you know primary source documentary footage. Their analysis is terrible, you know. I mean, I think those
4: images are going to juice your memory, and you're going to have your own re experience of the '90s. So, yeah, I'd say it's worth watching because everybody has these memories tucked away that they haven't dusted off in a while, and that's what these are good stimuli for that.
0: I think it also is a good um, social activity. Like I watched it with people – you know, invite friends over and sit and watch it have a whole 90s night. We bust out my 90s Trivial Pursuit. I have the 20th century <laughs> Trivial Pursuit for some reason. And, you know, it has questions about, like, you know, how many eggs did it take to fertilize to get Dolly cloned? Things like that, things that you just don't know. That's, that's I'm so personal. Not sure, if I knew yeah. that then. <laughs>
3: yeah. That would be Dr. Phil asking yes. that question. But I think you, it is, it's fun Kyan, to. Kiana Wolf wants to know if at that party you drank white Zinfandel boxed. White Zinvandala. <laughs> Box <of wine. laughs> yeah.
2: Yes.
0: Yes, I, I, I always keep some of that in the house, One of the things
2: I think it's worth watching for, though, too, is um, Monica Lewinsky and her take – her sort of talking very personally about the entire scandal and what it did to her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's another place where she talks like that about this – did she have a book out? I think she I, has a she book out. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, seeing her talk about it, I thought was um, was very interesting. So if you're only going to watch one episode, watch that episode and and watch Monica. I,
3: the thing that I I feel like I I need to wag my finger at National Geographic about. Uh, this analysis thing, just a little bit more and say, yes, absolutely. I mean, Jim's right that, you know, you'll do your own analysis. And Carolyn's right. Yes, this can be a really fun group activity. But, you know, at the level of kind of collective memory and kind of how we understand stuff and how that becomes kind of important over time, I think this is – this has some dramatic failures. And the dramatic failures tend to kind of occur in that area of just presenting something on what we now refer to at NPR as he said, she said. You know, there's some people said this. Some people said that. Who knows? Let's move on. So and and, uh, the example that I'll give is Waco. Where in fact I think you could pretty well make the argument now, and if you go back and read Mal- Malcolm Gladwell's piece that was in the New Yorker and, in March uh, about this, that this was an epic failure by American law enforcement. This was a, a you know a, a military action that, that killed twenty five children and uh, a larger number of adults unnecessarily, and that really with a little bit more nuance, with a little bit more understanding of what was going on there, uh, a little less aggression and thuggishness, the the pin could have been put back in this grenade very easily. So if you're going to give us – I don't know what that was, maybe about eight minutes or so about Wake Up. It was kind of a long segment about and, Wake Up. And mostly
4: be. about reporters partying yeah. while they're <laughs> waiting for something to happen. Right. They, they had, were they having had, they had margarita, margarita, margarita parties. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, and yeah. But, I mean if you're going to give us uh, you know, a big, long narrative segment about this, uh, just to sort of leave it – I mean in fact what they really do is suggest that the people who were critical of the US Justice Department collective justice department's enforcement uh, operation here and 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 the the holocaust that followed are sort of start with G Gordon Liddy and move right that's you know i mean that's sort of who thought this was bad. Well, maybe that that
4: was a survivalist (laughs) movement, too, that that really took issue with that. And so maybe uh, uh, that's where the Tea Party started.
3: Yeah. But I mean, it seems to me that you could be, I mean, I am not G. Gordon Liddy, and I'm not to the right of G. Gordon Liddy, and I think it was a disaster and 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 a disgrace. And so for the National Geographic Channel to say, well, some people thought it was kind of a bad thing that we did this, but they were mainly these right-wing crackpots. Well, no. (laughs) No, they weren't. And really, you know, put a little, this is when you really do maybe need to have, oh, I don't know, not that I think he's a genius or anything. but Malcolm Gladwell might have been an interesting person instead of Matthew Perry, you know, or, or so much Matthew <laughs> Perry, anyway. All right, I think we're going to try to grab one call here. We're going to have to move on to the world of blank rooms. We'll explain all this to you, or we'll try anyway. Uh, here's a Sherry in Hartford. Hi, Sherry. Hi. What's on your mind? Okay, what, what I wanted to say is that um, during the 90s, I worked in a major um, urban hospital here in Connecticut, and um, through the 90s, um, my view, and really I would say the state's view, our nation's view, was um, AIDS was killing a lot, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I remember nothing but serum rolls during the 90s, wearing black with, you know, both black colors. And um, there really wasn't an advancement in medications mm-hmm. until 1996 where people thought maybe they were going to be able to live. But I, I don't want that forgotten.
1: It's, a, it's
3: a great point and one that's been made a, a lot recently in How to Fight a Plague, How to Survive a Plague, How to Survive a Plague in and, and the Normal Heart. And, I you know, I didn't see some of the third hour of this. I don't know whether they deal with it. They do deal with they the ro- – yeah.
2: Because one of the things I was thinking, and this is sort of a weird context for it, but they talk about the real world and they never mention Pedro who was oh, right, right. like America's introduction to gay men mm-hmm. and AIDS. So – and I mean the president spoke at his funeral and they didn't mention it but they were talking about – they had Julie from the first one who got in a fight with Kevin and they were talking about their fight. That was important.
3: It's, it, it's played out through the, – the gay issue is played out through the rising acceptance uh, of gays uh, and of gay celebrities and Ellen and the death of Matthew Shepard. Uh, we get right. some of that. But, um Uh, To the best of my knowledge, anyway, and as I say, I didn't see the whole thing. I missed uh, some of the third hour. And nothing I saw really dealt with that. And she's right. She's absolutely right. I don't even
0: remember AIDS being mentioned. Yeah. I I did think it was odd that they didn't mention it more, Mm. given it being – There was
4: so much press about AIDS in the 80s that maybe people just figured, okay, we're not hearing about it as much. But certainly I remember it being – that's when it was really taking its
3: toll. I
2: was just thinking maybe they're saving AIDS for like the – the, not, the 80s, the last mediocre decade or whatever they've got <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> coming um,
3: out. Yeah, I'm guessing Sherry's memory of this is pretty accurate, but I think we do mm-hmm. see we think of the the crucible in which this yeah. was all fought out. As the 80s we think about Ronald Reagan, uh, we right. think about uh, stuff like the Normal Heart, How to Survive a Plague, Dallas Buyers Club. It was a, it's all kind of an 80s mm-hmm. story anyway, but she's probably right that you know the the drugs that, that truly began to, to aggressively address AIDS probably weren't widely available to the mid-90s. I Johnson was That was declared. in the 90s. That was in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. In the I don't think they, they mentioned that. That was a huge
4: moment, I think, certainly for that community to have such a megastar come out and say, that I have this.
3: Well, we, we may need a fourth hour, but we're not going to get one right now. We're going to take a break. Instead, we've got two more topics to cover here on The nose Stay with us. We'll be back. One of the many articles that we read to get ready for this edition of The Nose with Carolyn Payne, Teresa Kramer, and Jim Chapdelaine was a piece in Medium.com, an increasingly interesting online magazine, called The American Room, Behind the Nation's Closed Doors with YouTube. The author of the piece basically makes the argument that if you watch a lot of homemade YouTube videos— and, and makes the 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 case very compellingly. I might add, if you watch a, watch a lot of homemade YouTube videos, you start seeing essentially the same room in the background. Uh, this, the author actually looked uh, at a collection gathered by some friends over a five year period. They call it the basement bin. The collection runs to eight hundred videos. The author has watched 400 of them. The criteria for inclusion are very complex, but the rule of thumb is that the videos capture something besides what the performer intended them to capture. The big, empty American room appears again and again. It's a standardized room like Diet Coke or iPhones. American rooms are a kind of product built as quickly and cheaply as possible to a standardized specification. Uh, Benjamin Moore's best selling Shades of White are actually offered up there on the website for us to look at. More than 100 million Americans live in the suburbs. Suburban homes are built many at a time to achieve efficiencies, and one of the efficiencies, of course, is this room. So, um, Teresa Kramer, when I read this, I mean, it's we chew through so much stuff to get ready for shows like this one. It's rare that somebody points something out to me that's been in front of my nose quite this way mm-hmm. that I haven't, hadn't ever really thought about in quite this way. And and not that I'm necessarily arguing, arguing that this essay is successful in all of its goals. But it, I don't know. Were you as startled by, as I was by like, oh, yeah, that's really true. All these people are in the same damn room?
2: I – I guess I was. So I I responded rather well to this article when you shared it. I lost my mind. And I was like, I don't understand people who have no inclination to like personalize their space. I don't get that. And I But I've been in those homes where I walk in and I'm like, you've lived here for 10 years and you've never painted the walls. I don't understand. And um, so one of my favorite time wasting sort of activities is to go on real estate websites and look at houses and and just like my neighbors houses I don't care <laughs> or like in California yes people and, get,
3: people can hear you yeah
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> this is what i do with my time when i have nothing better to do and so i started doing that today just a little bit before the show to look at at, yeah, I mean, it's a glimpse into people's houses. And I was surprised. I decided to look at Austin, Texas, because they're weird, right? Like, that's their thing. And um, a lot of them were still very vanilla beige. And I, you know, I don't think it's surprising, because I think Americans tend to um, focus on everything that the world can see. You, you know, they're very into their cars, because everyone sees your car and they're they're obsessed with their lawn because you can see their lawn. But when it's inside, you know, no one comes into your kitchen most of the time. So if you never paint it, they're never going to know.
3: Although, Jim, it seems to me that Americans in 2014 can be described that way. Um, You and I, because we are men of a certain age, have lived through times in which, I mean, if you think about sort of what life was like in the late 60s and early 70s, there there weren't – I mean, I'm not saying there weren't prefab homes that didn't really ever get particularly rococo. But – you know, people tended to decorate heavily and to personalize space, even space that people weren't necessarily going to look at. So much of that time was about making physical marks on the world and I do think that this essay is making the argument that this isn't necessarily an endemic American trait. It's a 2014 or digital era American trait.
4: Maybe it's the where the computer is but
3: I found it so
4: wonderfully creepy that it immediately (laughs) seemed like this has to be like the next episode of American Horror Story because it just seemed so Twilight Zone-y. I mean it was – I actually was like – I was poking my – wife. you have to look at this. Look at this. So freaky and so creepy. I I would urge anybody who's curious to go to this because – it, we I, I think when you go to college you, you depend where you go you're you 're going to end up living in one of these rooms at some point you 're going to find I grew up on a little ranch, and uh, I think maybe that 's my reaction to that is I have a hundred year old house that 's constantly falling apart, but I like the fact that I can jump up and down in the in the rooms without hitting my head uh, where i, I couldn 't do that as a kid except when I was five
3: you know Carolyn. I- as I read this, and I sort of thought about all the other things we, we looked at a lot of things to get ready for this week's news, including um, a site called "I Know Where Your Cat Is," uh, <laughs> in which some kind of geolocation has been applied to so the photos. Yeah, yes. to the to the photos that people uh, put up on the web with their but then cats. Then
0: I spent hours trying to find my cat right. on. So thanks for that.
3: And, <laughs> and so what I started wondering, I mean, I'm not sure that this is the point of the piece in Medium.com, but I think it kind of might be, which is that somehow or other. All of the projection that we do, all the aesthetic projection, all the thinking we kind of do about, about our world is – it goes into the computer and exists out in cyberspace and we, we actually do start to ignore, maybe in a way that we didn't 10 or 20 years ago, our physical environments. Our physical environments become less and less interesting to us because our interest is focused somewhere else. I mean I wondered – I mean at the end of the piece, uh, it it says, it says for most of us – Life happens against a backdrop of intersecting off-white walls. Those are our homes, plain and a little grim. Our fantasy homes are busy with bright things, yet old. Our pins and dreams are not beige. When we sleep, we leave the computer behind and step out onto the widow's walk to wait for our sailors to come home from the sea. I have no idea what any of that means, (laughs) but my own personal interpretation was the one that I just gave you.
0: Well, I think that— What was kind of missed in this for me as somebody who has worked on writing like YouTube sketch comedy and has worked with friends and creating YouTube videos where the goal is to kind of, you know, create something that's going to go viral and people are going to watch. One of the things that you, you know, when I'm working with someone and I'm like helping them do this, I'm like, you know what, we don't want to make, you don't want the background to be distracting. So I think that that's something that wasn't necessarily it's like beyond, like, if you're filming in your house, you want to find the plainest looking area so that what you're doing is is the focus. Although uh, a lot
3: of these videos are of people like belching music or, you know, jumping up and down in rubber suits. I'm not sure they're, you know. They were
0: necessarily thinking that and they were I'm not were sure there's an, art, well,
3: there's an art director involved yeah, there in There's a somewhere. high production right, standard in most of these.
0: Even, even then, I feel like if, if you're making these and. I I just kind of think that a lot of times people are trying to copy that uh, the green screen look that like or just, you know, filming in a studio where they're trying to make it as plain as possible. So and I I feel like there's no accents. like a lot of people who create a video that goes viral or, you know, ends up on this. They knew what they were doing. And if they had something on the wall, they might have taken it down to to simplify it. I'm just playing devil's advocate wow. with this. But. Yes.
3: Well, well you I go?
2: kind of wonder if this says something more about the kind of people who are making videos of themselves belching in front of their computer because, I mean, that guy doesn't seem particularly sophisticated and, like, he want, he doesn't want to spend a whole lot of time in <laughs> choosing the perfect paint color for his room or choosing the perfect art piece. There is something
4: so, that you're hitting on because it, it is a little classist, mm-hmm, I would say. Yeah. There's a little class thing involved in there. And that's
2: the, that's the other thing I was thinking about is that maybe these people because I was thinking I do like color my house is three different colors I named them all for everybody in the emails and um, but she, when I she, lived in she an apartments. She named them to us. She didn't yes.
3: name the colors after us. I she isn't yeah. like a chapdeling blue. <laughs> no, or something. I, I I'm, I'm going, be, going to,
2: yeah. yeah. The, I'm going to change them. Um, but so when I lived in apartments, I didn't paint them because I moved every year and because I would just have to repaint them when I moved. And I, we don't know who these people are or what their circumstances are. But then it's also to the classist point, you know, I often find myself paralyzed when I want to change something because I'm like, well, I would like to do this, but that is going to cost me like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I'm not going to spend that right now on this particular thing. And so there continues that like, there continues to be a blank wall in my bedroom because I can't decide what to do with it or can't afford to do what I want with it. So, um, you know, so maybe after a while that's they're, why just, we use they're looking for
4: be- people who do videos in beige rooms so well, it sort of so many apartments, itself.
2: Like right. Teresa
4: said so many apartments yeah. you
0: can't rent. I mean that was, I mean you can't paint if you're a renter and that was important to me when when looking so for Are we, are we for,
4: saying that people in apartments do YouTube videos? Is yes. that what the the bottom line is here?
0: A lot of those looked like they were apartments.
4: So they're going those are the people who are going viral. They're going they're, for. They're, they're swinging for the fence.
3: I mean, you just sort of do wonder. I mean, you know, every era does have these these little sort of signifiers. For example, in the documentary about the '90s, documentaries about the '90s, um, I would have added because you know when Max Spielberg uh, takes over from his father and starts making movies about the period he grew up in, the '90s, he will have those white plastic chairs that are on everybody's <laughs> deck, right? Right. You know, they're not. They're modeled on some kind of actually a, a kind of high art Italian design. But then they were just stamped out right. by the billions and billions. And in the 90s, they were everywhere. And the only variation is that sometimes they were dark green, but mostly they were white, you know. Yeah. And and so to me, these walls that they show and these rooms that they show, it's not just the color of the walls, right? There's a blankness yeah, yeah. that goes yeah. beyond that. Was uh, you know, anybody
4: else waiting for somebody to – Sneak up behind them and kill them?
3: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, am I the only
4: one who saw this as really sort of scary and creepy?
2: No, I do find it creepy when I, an unpersonalized space is very creepy because you're, you can get no sense of the person. You're like, you could be a serial killer or you could just be really boring. I don't a know a what's happening. Yeah, if, if I go <laughs> into
0: someone's home and they don't – and it it's like eggshell mm-hmm. white paint. I I just assume they have either no taste
3: or. (laughs) You are (laughs) are being defriended on Facebook. She'll invite them over for one of those great 90s parties. (laughs) All right, so we we have to quickly switch gears, and we've got maybe time for about a sentence or two each, but. um, I can't even remember who was who wanted uh, to kick this one off but or who I wanted to kick this one off, although I think Jim and I have a longer, I know we have longer memories of this. So WCCC, which is a station located right next door to, to the building that we're in right now, and which began really kind of at the end of World War II as sort of a a classic, you know, multi-music, but sort of, you know, big bands and, and orchestras and stuff like that, uh, and has gone through many transmogrifications, uh, but really sort of in the 1960s and 70s when Chapdelaine and I were sort of musically coming of age, became a progressive rock station or what was called AOR, album-oriented rock. And it's been other versions of kind of a hard rock or album-oriented rock or classic rock orientation for many years. It has other distinctions as well. But as of tomorrow, it will be a contemporary Christian station. So, um, So Jim, because you do have an institutional memory of comparable length to mine, (laughs) <laughs> I'll let you uh, chime in with a sentence uh, or two. It,
4: I wonder, is it just following our own personal journeys, Colin? Yeah, is it be. just follow from, from heavy metal right back into the to the Christian basket that awaits us? Um, I, I, you know, I liked CCC. They used to be at every gig that, and somehow every gig that anyone was playing anywhere, that van would pull up and those guys would jump out and and be incredibly peppy. Regardless of the circumstance, I remember for some reason playing outdoors in February, and I have no idea what the circumstance was. Uh, But they were there, they put it on, and and it was freezing. I remember thinking, This is insane, but there was still that, see, see, see. And and you felt kind of peppy because they were there. All right. Your turn,
3: Teresa Kramer.
2: Carolyn and I were reminiscing, reminiscing about Radio One Hundred and Four because it was basically the '90s. And I feel like when that went away, I was very sad. When it became the hip hop station, then it, when it came back, and it, I was super, I was so excited. I was like, oh, I can listen to the music of my youth. But I, I, I didn't listen to CCC as much. But I am so, so very sad that it's going. I think I may be more sad because it's becoming a Christian station. Like that just seems. Wrong and sad to me, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it just. It,
3: I, it, it, I'm it, going to get email. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Let the defriending yeah. commence <laughs> <laughs> on this side. Yeah, it just seems like it. You know, it's li- like they it's being those, reborn.
3: Those, is, is, those Christian people in their beige rooms, yeah. right. looking like hanging in there. All right, so Carolyn Payne, we just sort of have to keep moving through this one.
0: I am just glad she said it instead of me, but <laughs> <laughs> I was. you no, no, know Not I'll proud. just throw her <laughs> under the bus. Um, I mean, I didn't grow up around. Around here, uh, I went to college. Around here, and uh, WCCC was really big when I was in college. So, you know, on for for that, I I haven't been a, uh, a listener per se. I am definitely much more into the uh, '90s rock, <laughs> revisiting the Pearl Jam. But it does seem sad to had, to be losing a station like that, and I, I'll miss seeing their Hummers. Yeah. driving well, around. Yeah.
3: So those are the two links to the '90s, right? Um, Humvees uh, were emerged from the, mm-hmm. the nineteen from the the Gulf War, and of course, the other link to the '90s is that Howard Stern rose to prominence in the 1990s. Howard Stern's first major market station ever was WCCC. It's if you watch his move the movie Private Parts, you can see a whole WCCC uh, story unfold before your eyes. I do want to say, you know, it's not like we're losing like it's lost entirely. I mean, Christian people like to listen to music. It's nice they have a station that they <laughs> can a, listen to that talk or music? It's going to be music. music. And, you know, I mean, I think we all have a very ambivalent relationship, or many of us do, with contemporary Christian music. You're driving along in a a state where you don't live, and there's kind of an interesting, you know, song on the radio, and it's kind of catchy. And then suddenly realize, oh, yeah, this is Christian rock. Okay, I like it, but it's I'm not a Christian. Maybe I shouldn't listen. It's jars of clay. They sound great. But uh, all right. So we have to take a break. Come back. We're going to have to do very quick endorsements.
1: Ever since I announced that Cato Kaelin is here, women have been bringing their panties to our building to be autographed. Have some dignity, women! This man is on the cover of this month's AARP magazine. Today's show was produced by me, while Betsy Kaplan spends the day at a Pokemon convention and a Billy Blank's bow workout. Our interns are Josh Naleya and Lily Tyson. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Tickle Me Elmo. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton show staff wearing slap bracelets, no-fear t-shirts, and Bugle Boy jeans, visit our website, wnpr.org. On Monday, show comedy writer Melanie Kintaya comes back to the scramble. And now, back to the nose.
3: All right, time for endorsements. We will have to go swiftly, but we will go. Carolyn Payne, you go first. All
0: right, um, the show The Comeback with Lisa Kudrow is making a comeback, so if you didn't watch the original of that, um, check it out. I, I... Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. And it is hilarious. It is part improv, part scripted. Um, so watch that. And also uh, Capitol Grill in Hartford has an amazing uh, great pour menu with like wine and food pairing and it's mm. delicious.
3: it's yeah, so. down by Adrian's Landing or mm-hmm. part of Front Street actually. Yeah, and now a good uh, 90s tie-in to your endorsement, Lisa Kudrow. All
4: right, go ahead. Okay, I'm endorsing a uh, personal trainer, Therapeutic Body Works in West Hartford, Lisa Hughes. I've been there once and as you can see, I've got a haircut. You are, yeah. Um, and I'm also uh, going going to uh, Europe next week where my new single, Camus, the Existentialist Killer Whale, is going to be released in Paris. So instead of endorsing, I'm anticipating the release of Boyhood and uh, The Honorable Woman, two things I'm looking forward to returning to.
3: All right. Yeah. We probably will be talking about Boyhood on the news uh, next week when Jim is sipping wine uh, at in, in the sixth arrondissement. All right. You're up.
2: Um, I'm going to endorse a show called American Primetime. You can watch it on Netflix now. And it's sort of another one of these talking head series. But it, it looks at um, American culture through TV. And one episode will be about women in television. One will be about minorities in television. One will be violence in television. And they're, they're way better than, than the 90s thing. And um, they're really great. And they make you think in ways I had not thought about dumb television before.
3: All right. I'm going to endorse uh, the play. Just, first of all, the experience of the Yale Summer Cabaret, which is a terrific institution. It's 40 years old this year. It's on uh, Park uh, Street in uh, New Haven. Uh, it's a relatively cheap ticket. The tickets float from 50, 15 to $40. But you can also go there and eat dinner. And the food is actually really good. It's sort of brought out to you by actors, so it doesn't really all come in the right order or at the right time. You have to sort of let go of that. And then the show that they're doing is Will Eno's um, Middletown, which has an amazing first act. Second act slows and wanders. A little bit, a Willie No, famous for Tom Payne, based on nothing, and the Realistic Joneses, which went to Broadway uh, last season. Uh, it's a, it, and Middletown is a, just a terrific play, and he has sort of a Beckett-like use of. Uh, of language in a very kind of comic way, a terrific uh, ensemble cast of, of young actors, many of them associated with the Yale Drama School, which has produced people like Meryl Streep. Well, actually, that's all you really have to say is people like Meryl Streep, but Lupita Nyong'o as well and everybody in between. Anyway, uh, go see it. It runs through August 10th. And as I say, the tickets are not that expensive. If you don't eat, uh, uh, the tickets uh, are, are a very inexpensive way to entertain yourself during the summer. Thanks to Carolyn Payne. Thanks to Teresa Kramer. Thanks to Jim Chapdelaine and bon voyage to him as well. And we'll be back. Next week,
0: Woodberry, hitting on
4: New Britain, Burning. I already said that one, Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: I can't believe there was a time in the 1990s where people would watch a TV show about three men living in the same house in San Francisco and assume they were straight.